and welcome to The Gray Area, where I dispense advice and give interviews on relationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 37th episode in a weekly series called Australian Angst. Last week's episode was a discussion with myself and Tinzian about Deus Ex, Lord of the Rings Online, and transmogrification in World of Warcraft. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Monday, October 3rd, and today I speak with Dragonitis about the changes in the Australian rating system, gaming conventions, Gears of War, Arkham City, and more. Uh, before we talk, let's do news of the week. News of the week. ICO and Shadow of the Colossus PS3 are both being re-released and somewhat remastered a little bit and uh, have better graphics than ever before. So if you like those, check them out as they come out again for the second time. The Battlefield 3 beta is out for those special previewing people. I hear the interface for it is not so good and that it takes a while to find games with others. And also once you find a slot on the server, it takes as long to actually enter the game as it did waiting. And apparently the only way to adjust the game settings are to be in a game with somebody and try to survive while you uh, tab in and out adjusting the game settings. So, so that's quite a few problems so far. Hopefully they get that worked out before the uh, actual release of the game. Indievania is a new distribution site for indie titles. All games are accepted for it, and all of the profits go directly to the developers. It's run by the company Alien Trap, who doesn't even get a take on the commission from gaming sales. The site is funded entirely by optional donations at the end of each checkout. So when someone purchases a game from Indievania, they're purchasing directly from that developer's PayPal account, and uh, the benefits and promotion potentials of a game portal are yours if you join Indievania. So I thought that was kind of a neat idea for people that are just starting to have their own game or for indie companies that aren't able to use a similar um, system, I guess, as Valve does or able to get maybe on Steam. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's um, it's good. It, it's, it, it gives them a stable platform, and that's, that's sort of something that most indie developers need to get out there. So, you know, I think that's really, really good. Yeah, there are a lot of... Uh, titles that I sometimes want to play, and it's difficult because uh, things are not as publicized in the indie world and gaming, and you kind of have to find little gems here and there. It'd be nice if there's a place you can go like Steam, but for indie games, so I'll have to check out Indievania and uh, see what they have. It gives me an idea for making my own program. Hmm. <laughs> see the fingers tapping together. Stroke's imaginary beard. Mm, it will be blue and red. <laughs> and you're called Dragon Knight as rules the world. Wait, that's my world domination plan. Let's grab that. <laughs> the successor to the game Demon Souls, which was Game of the Year in 2009, called Dark Souls, is being released this week from Atlas Games for the Xbox 360 on October 4th. And very excited to say, the new Dragon Age 2 DLC, Mark of the Assassin, which features a character voice acted by Felicia Day, who portrayed that character Talos live in the Dragon Age web series Dragon Age Redemption, which will someday come out. Um, the DLC will be released on October 11th, and so you know what I'll, what I'll be doing next week. You know where I'll be. <laughs> and Batman <laughs> Arkham City based on the popular world created in Batman Arkham Asylum, is being released October 18th. Um, did you play the prequel world that is based on the Arkham Asylum? What are your thoughts I did. on that? I did. I played Arkham Asylum, and I loved every minute of it. I actually, thinking about Arkham City, I actually went out and bought a Batman shirt so I could play Arkham City with my Batman shirt. Um <laughs> Next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get my sister to make bat batarang cookies. And <laughs> are you going to get a tattoo? I'm I'm half tempted to. I really I really am. <laughs> you love it that much, huh? I love it that much. It was it was a really good game. Um, the the game was executed so well, and it actually does justice to 
um, the superhero genre because, as everyone knows, superhero games suck. Yes, yes, they do. They're really bad. Yes. And, like, I mean, if any of you remember um, Superman, I think it's Superman Returns on the the Nintendo 64 all those years ago, it was a horrible, horrible game. (laughs) Um, It was a horrible movie, I'm sorry to say. (laughs) Well, that's, you know, opinions are are divided on that one. Personally, I loved it, but anyway... um, yeah, it was just a really bad game. So, um, and although a lot of these superhero games are made based off movies, that's that's probably the downfall. So, what um, um, I think it's Rocksteady have done um, is that they've gone and made this game that's outside of any movie Batman movie that's been made, and it's um, you know it's got its own storyline that's you know still very rich with the whole you know Batman universe type, you know, Gotham City, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find the words to describe it, but do, do you get what I mean? It's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a very, very Batman-esque. genre, I mean, Batman is generally, you know, kind of an anti-hero for sure, and it looked like the bits that I saw of Arkham Asylum were very much following in that, and so I have not seen a lot about Arkham City. What is it specifically that you're looking forward to, just getting back into that world, or are you looking for the plot? Well, I think with Arkham City, they've gone and they've uh, they've expanded it, so you're no longer confined to this little this little island, um, which is you know three buildings and and, and whatnot. You know, they've um, they've really broadened the the the, the explorable level, um, the the zone of of Arkham. So you you're actually getting a lot more saturation of you know. These are the sorts of buildings you'll see in Arkham. Like in Arkham, in Arkham City, Arkham City is—I um, don't know whether you know the story—but um, the, the the Lord Mayor of um, Gotham has that, uh, who is uh, I think it's someone Sharp, Godfrey Sharp. Anyway, um, he's he's decided that Arkham Asylum is too small to contain all these criminals, so he's now sectioned off this large island, similar to kind of like I think New York, which is on an island. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, similar to that, and they've sectioned it off and turned that entire area into a, uh, like a slum slash prison. Um, so, you know, there are, there are actually businesses that are running on this island. There are, um, you know, there are slums, people just trying to survive, and it's no longer a prison setting. It's, it's now a larger city setting, um, implied by the name. And it it just does it really well. Like I've seen, you know, I've watched nearly all the movies. I've what looked at screenshots. Um, I've gone. On the, I actually spent a good week trying to find the the, the community website, which I've then found and I'm looking at now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's just really Batman. It it just does it so well. It looks really good. Like the gameplay videos look really good. They've um. If you remember from Arkham Asylum, they actually did that free flow combat, mm-hmm. which was that how you got those really cool combo moves. Well, now it's advanced um, free flow, so it's even better than the last one. So, I mean, I'm talking this up a lot, but you know, only time will tell to see whether it actually delivers on this. Well, where does Batman come into it? I assume since the entire island is now peopled with uh, criminals and those who are kind of having businesses that cater to them, they have to be contained in this area and probably only have access to outside the city maybe one or two ways how does batman come into the story is he just there to kind of contain them what what is his job well i think overall there's there's some sort of plot that you know that's happening you know joker's come back and he's he's rallying these people you know the riddler is also there so yeah the you know batman's come back in the whole plot there's a there's a plot there where you know there's some sort of I know the wheels are in motion, so to speak, with the bad guys, and, and Batman's there to, to stop it. You know, it also introduces the character of um, the Catwoman, mm-hmm. um, who will be a playable character, and oh. the stories will will flick between the two. So it's it's actually telling a story. There's 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 something there. They haven't told us what the story is about, but you know, again, it's it's interesting to look at and to see where they go from here. Um, also, uh, don't take my word on it, but from what I've looked at on the website, there there are hints of Robin 
being shown as well, but I don't know any further, like, whether he's going to be uh, an interactable NPC or, you know, whether he'll have a, a, a hand in the story. You know, time will tell. October 18th. Yes. I have an article I'd like to read to you and see what your take on it is. Apparently, a lot of people being very excited about Arkham City are up in arms about a recent uh, spoiler alert that's uh, come through from Kotaku Gaming. So let me read the article, and uh, it's by Ben Kuchera, and the title's called Our Game Spoilers Headline-Worthy News. And he says... The video game website Kotaku posted what could be seen as a massive spoiler for Batman Arkham City on its front page. That's all I'm going to say about the content. The information is everywhere at this point, and you're welcome to visit the site if you'd like to see what I'm referring to. But it raises a basic question. Can major plot points of video games legitimately be considered news? And many readers say no. Reactions in the comments to the story and on Twitter have been both numerous and negative. Kotaku isn't backing down, however, and claims that the plot point is news and it's their job to report it. And they quote, When a publisher includes such an extraordinary moment as part of their press preview, and when that news is the most high-profile thing that they're showing, then I don't see how it doesn't merit headline treatment, Kotaku Deputy Editor Stephen Totillo wrote in the story's comments section. If the game creators didn't want gamers to know, then why in the world would they include it in the presentation to the press? And uh, Ben was very up in arms about this, saying that when he visited Kotaku this morning, the story was right there on the front page, written as a flat de declarative statement, so there was no way for him to avoid this spoiler. And while it's common to be given major plot information during hands-on previews of games, it's part of the job to know when you should filter that out, or at least what you should hide behind spoiler tags, so people can experience the story fresh for themselves if that's their choice. And he said, in this case, he's not convinced the presentation served readers. How would you have handled that situation is part of his question to the general public. So what do you think about that? If somebody takes a major spoiler, let's say Robin is in the game and you can play him and they make it, you know, the headline of the news. Do you think that that is fair? Or do you think people should make sure that they're very clear when they're about to post spoilers for those who just kind of want to be surprised? I, can, I see merits from both sides in this. I mean, if if the developer and the publisher decide, okay, we're going to reveal some major plot thing to to um, invoke interest in our in our game, mm -hmm. which is you know understandable. It's it's part you know it's not just games that they're making; they've got to make money. Then yeah, sure, go ahead and and I don't think it's really a spoiler. A spoiler to me is like the end of the game or a major major. Like the revelation to a twist in a game or a movie or a book. Okay. So I mean, releasing something like Robin, I mean that's cool, um, and it's not really, um, not really a spoiler in my opinion. But saying something like, "Oh yeah, um, the Joker dies at the end of this game," for example. No, don't panic. He doesn't die. I haven't heard anything. I don't know. Um, don't blame me. Don't shoot me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you know, I think if they said something along those lines and, you know, it was a big, big point, then, um, you know, the media can run with it. But depending on how they run with it is um, entirely up to them. And I think a little bit of tact is necessary when, when you know, displaying this sort of news. Like, if people don't want to know that Joker dies, then they should you know, then they should put it in, like, um, you know, a link that's, you know, top five stories or something, you know, major right, bat right. major bat point, you know, plot point revealed or something, right. instead of having it or posted right... Or does the right Joker die? And then if you click on it, obviously you care, and you want to know, you know? And you want to know, yeah. But um, instead of having it straight in your face, um, going to a website, I mean, I think like, there's nothing worse, or there's nothing that could turn me off a game more then going to my favorite news site like Destructoid or Kotaku and then having this big, big, fat article that says, The Joker dies. More below. Um, <laughs> also, I have a cappuccino. Um, uh-huh. Very true. So I mean, for me personally, I don't get too upset necessarily having um, news of a game, but... I don't try to read too much about something before I play it because I am a little bit afraid that, you know, I'll find out something and then it'll disappoint me in the, in the moment that I should have been surprised and shocked. 
But it's yeah. hard to avoid it if they do put it right there in the headline. Definitely, definitely true. I, I don't agree with that. Yeah, it's um. I think, like I said, tact is necessary when you when you're dealing with these sorts of things. I mean, yeah, it, it is a really big point that the developers, pardon me, have just released. But um, you know, it, it takes a part on the media's side to to actually determine how they you know how they control that information um uh, and i'm not talking about censorship i'm just saying common sense i mean i don't want to go and i want to you know i don't want to see news about lego harry potter and see that you know dumbledore explodes into a million pieces in lego harry potter um (laughs) well you have to wonder why a developer would release uh, something that would be an end game content that they didn't want people to know i mean I assume this would be more like the, hey, Robin is available in this game, rather than, like you said, the Joker dies. I can imagine a developer choosing to reveal that before a game's even been released and allowing people to know that. Yeah, it, it, it builds excitement. Like, if I wanted to play as Joker, I'd be like, hell yeah. Oh, sorry, not Joker, Robin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be pretty cool to play as Joker as well. Anyway, um, but my, my point is, is that I guess, yeah, I'd, I'd, don't see why you would why you would want to re- release a, a major plot point. It's just a weird thing to do, but I guess at the same time, for those that are really interested, it really drums up interest, and you know, it. I guess it means that more people start following the game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, personally, myself being a big fan of the first game, I I, I naturally was going to follow the second game, um, c- only because I did the first game so well. I was actually thinking about taking a vacation week this week because I'm on episode 37 now, and I think that's over six months of recording, and I haven't really taken a break yet, and I didn't have a whole lot that I wanted to talk about this week, and then you had to come on and be all interesting and start talking about the Australian rating system and all these other things, and I said, okay, I think I need to do a show about that. So let's take a little bit of time and talk about the recent changes that are going on um, for the games rating system for you. A little backstory on that. In my research, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Australia being a federation, uh, the responsibility for censorship is kind of divided per state, and I assume they have different uh, restrictions, perhaps based on each state. Um, and censorship of video games, I was surprised to, to read in Australia, is considered to be one of the strictest in the Western world. And I know you guys were operating before this under the MA15 rating, which means if you're under 15, you can't legally play or buy the game that's being featured without being accompanied by a legal guardian. And that the game can contain uh, gruesome violence if it's justified by context. It says strong implication of sexual activity. Strong coarse language, although very coarse language should be infrequent, and strong themes, whatever that means. And just recently, you've got the R18 uh, restricted as a new category for games, and this apparently means that themes, violence, and coarse language are virtually unrestricted. However, sexual violence is not allowed to be depicted, only to be implied, and if it's justified by context... And drugs related to incentive or rewards must be kept at a bare minimum. And this was pretty new, if I understand. So tell me about this, and I guess how this might have changed some of the games you play, and, and your thoughts on this, and your friends who also play. Okay, so pretty much all the information you just gave is correct. Um, we do have one of the strictest um, classification systems and monitor- monitoring systems in the world. Um and it makes it really hard for game designers um, to sell their product here. For example, uh, I'm going to refer to Destructoid here, but um, the, sorry, yeah, Sega. Uh, Sega, uh, they're well known for doing uh, a popular game called House of the Dead, um, and they're releasing one called House of the Dead Overkill. And um, they've currently been told by the rating um, classification board that even with like that, their new hardcore mode that they've uh, in- introduced is still too violent for you know, Australia. Even though you know they're close to humanoid, but not quite. They're dead people. Um, mm-hmm. So you know this includes things like headshot mode, blah blah blah. Um, and it seems like we're still in this mentality of um, restricting what players ex- 
experience. Um, so just a little bit of background um, in regards to the R18 is that um, a lot of gamers in Australia have been lobbying for this higher rating. Um, we feel that it's it's not fair that this same sort of censorship goes into, um, well, I won't call it censorship, but this same sort of um, restriction is applied to you know, movies and, you know, magazines, um, and, and then not to games. I mean, games are just another form of media and entertainment. So what you're saying is that you have the same exact rating that we do here for all the other things like media, uh, movies and, and magazines, but, but games are different? Really? Yeah, ga- games are different. So games go from a G rating, which are, you, you know, your general, Games like, you know, Hello Kitty Island Adventure. <laughs> um, my, my Little, little Pony. pony. <laughs> yeah. yeah, My Little Pony Sparkle Friends. Um, you know, Mr. Panda Goes to the Zoo. <laughs> um, straight up to MA15+, Plus, which is where, you know, a lot of your hardcore um, AAA titles are like um, GTA and Red Dead Redemption. Those are just two Rockstar games that I've just... Yeah. Um, you know, other games like that that... that do have violence like LA Noir. Um, there's another Rockstar game. I can't mm-hmm. actually think of any other games that aren't done by Rockstar. Uh, so um, Driver, you're never going to have yeah. like, any of that because the whole entire game would be much higher than an R18, I would think. So, you know, things like Duke Nukem are there as well. And uh, what's happening is that these games that have a lot of these references to drug use um, have to be changed. Like, I, I, I think it was Quake. At one point, the newest mm-hmm. Quake. It was a uh, uh, anyway. It was a it was a futuristic shooting game, and it made reference to some sort of medi pack that was like drugs or something. Um, that ah, would, so like Bioshock. Would, you can't play Bioshock because you're you're going to be uh, injecting yourself with with the stuff that gives you the field to shoot your uh, biotic weapons. Does that count well, as drug related? I think, well, I think because the drugs there were non realistic, nothing ah. that you could get. In, in, in life, it uh, was sort of looked over, over with like a, a very deep, dark, deathly glare, just like, I guess. Okay. Maybe. But, um, you know, yeah, it was, it was just things like, um, you know, GTA that, that really sort of, um, provoked this. And this is where the field of vision for the New South were, for, for example, the, the state, um, premiers, which is what we have. So kind of like how you guys have governors, we have premiers. Okay. Um, and they they look after the state that they're the premier of. So in this case, only recently the um, we've also got an attorney general. So in this case, the New South Wales attorney general, Greg Smith, was the only one that was holding out on giving us an R eighteen. Um, so he's finally assented uh, or given his agreement in principle to to it. Um. We've now gotten this whole... Basically, the entire country is now in support, in agree, uh, in principle, for the R18. They've now got to go and discuss guidelines as to the classification board. So, you know, it means that we, we, we are finally getting one, but how that will be restricted, um, we, we won't know until the guidelines are released. So, I mean, it's a bit of good news, a bit of bad news, but the problem we face is that a lot of um, our members of parliament, our attorney generals from all the states, they're, they're from the, an older generation that don't understand how games are a part of, 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 our, of this generation and uh, of the world now. They're a legitimate source of entertainment and they're, uh, they're also a very legitimate way of, of storytelling. Um, it's, it's kind of like people don't pick up a comic book anymore, they pick up a game. Um, even George Lucas for the Star Wars series, he he said that you know to describe what happens between Episode three and Episode four, he's going to do a series of games. Hmm. Admittedly, those games flopped, but they still had uh, a story that sort of linked the two um, two movies together. And now, if George Lucas to say, "Oh yeah, okay, I want to have you know some." a high-level sex scene in this game. Well, even Clone Wars wouldn't be allowed uh, as a, if you turned Clone Wars, the animated series, into a game, you guys would not be allowed to see it. <laughs> well, it's funny, like, 
I, I don't I don't understand how the classification board works because the the Clone Wars series was placed into a PG um, a PG setting, so parental guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, now maybe that's because Star Wars has uh, a limited fan base in the younger generation, so only those real diehard fans like my five year old cousin would want to watch them and. You know, my five-year-old cousin has seen the the animated Clone Wars ones, not the ones that are really gruesome and weird where they have their limbs cut off, mm-hmm. but but close to it. You know, he's seen a couple of them that have Yoda in it, and because he he loves Yoda, he's crazy about Yoda, um, <laughs> which is kind of cute. Anyway, getting getting back on topic, um, yeah, it's it's just it's strange how something like that can can be filtered in at, like, a, a PG rating. And then you've got games that are, are very, very similar, you know, where, you know, heads are being taken off. And that's a 15, probably. And, yeah, that's, that's like 15, a 15. Huh. I mean, for example, I'll give you I'll give you an example. Kanan Lynch, Dog Days, which is the newest Kanan Lynch game that was out, like, last year or early this year, somewhere around there. Um, it includes a lot of that sort of stuff, and it's got a lot of things like drug use, um, it's got the, I think it's the Chinese mafia or the Yakuza or someone like that in there, um, there are sex scenes, you know, there are headshots, and all this is sort of filtered and censored, so the headshots have, like, pixelation blurs over them, um, so does uh, the nudity. I was going to ask um, you, do do game designers redesign their games based on places like China where they're not allowed to have, you know, the undead or Australia where they can only have a certain level of violence, will the game release a version that is specific to your country so that you can still play it? Or do they just kind of say, I'm not going to bother and you have to just not have it? Okay, so there are three choices that um, game developers make. First, they can edit the game content, which is what Blizzard tend to do with their World of Warcraft games um, because of you know, cultural differences. Um, they don't want to offend people, so they they go out of the way to just change the content. So you know, take out all the skulls and all the rotting people and put put in like bright coloured pandas that <laughs> shoot laser beams. I don't know, but <laughs> right. You know, they 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 change the content. The second thing that they can do, and that's so that um for for Australia, I guess it's it's so that it can pass an MA fifteen plus rating. Okay. Second of all, they can challenge the, the rating and say, well, you know, this stuff is here because um, it is like a higher level. It's only things that, you know, older pe- players will probably get to. Um, and it's more it's more accessible to those older people that have, you know, better skills or a better understanding of the game. They're more balanced, whatever. Or the final option is to not release the game in Australia. And that's often... Um, it's either the first one or the second or, or the third one that um, game developers choose. However, the first option, editing the game content, is very costly. Um, I don't know how much uh, you know about the cost of, of you know making a game, but it can get quite expensive. Um, to put it into perspective, um, the new Star Wars: The Old Republic game has costed. I think ten times more than they intended to spend on making the game. Um, again, my figures are a little bit skewed or, or wrong, and this is entirely because of the internet. <laughs> I blame your internet. Um, but they've spent they've spent a lot more money, um, and we're talking like I think for thousands, like twenty thousand, thirty thousand um, dollars, even more, on making this game. Now, if they've got to then go back and re-edit that content, that could cost them another $10,000. Mm-hmm. So in in that case, it means that to then sell that game in Australia, they could jack the price up so they can make back the money that they spent on uh, editing the yes. game. And that means that then we end up paying more money for the game and a lot of us don't want to do that. I mean, it's already a gripe as is that we're paying um, if I remember correctly, you guys pay something between forty to sixty dollars for a new game, whereas mm-hmm. we're paying something like eighty to one hundred and forty oh for a new game. So um, does that lead to like an underground kind of 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you want to call it like you know illegal games trade, the yeah. seedy underbelly of Australia illegal games trade. That's <laughs> <laughs> really it. Actually, does lead to piracy, and that is if you want to control that sort of stuff, then you need to take these things into consideration. Nobody wants to go out and spend one hundred and twenty dollars on the new Batman game, only to have you know and not meet their expectations or have half the stuff um, edited. Um, yeah, that they're looking forward to. Like, you know, if it was me, I would personally look forward to bashing some murderer's teeth in and mm-hmm. having them come out of his mouth. Um, or the poor people in China who had to wait like an extra two years to get a cataclysm because they had to go oh, yeah. back and, you know, change everything. By the time they got the game, it was like old news for everybody else in the world, which is not fun. No, it's not. And I, that's, I think that's the thing is that they need to like this censorship of, of entertainment medium um, needs to be lessened. And I think it won't happen until our generation, you know, the people that, that have grown up with games get into those positions of power and they understand the way that games work and, you know, what game designers are doing. Um, a little bit off topic, but still in relation to a lot of indie game designers in Australia don't get funding by the government um, to to develop their games. Um, a lot of big game companies in Australia don't get given funding, um, and this is because um, you know they don't understand the way that or what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to achieve another form of entertainment, and it's it's very sad because it's actually meant the closure of some big companies like THQ. Um, mm-hmm. There was an Australian company uh, called Blue Tongue, um, which was affiliated with THQ, that shut down. And people, um, sorry, game companies don't want to invest in overseas branches of their of their company, like um, you know Activision or or whatever, they don't right, want to right. fund studios in Australia because we're not getting the funding or the support from the government, which then comes back to the R18, which means that, you know, if we do make games as an indie developer, we need to really focus on what our content will involve um, and, you know, how we're going to monitor that because when we go to release it and go through the classification board and say, this is what we want to put out, they'll say, this is too violent, take it away. And that means that the money that we've invested ourselves has gone to waste and it's it's a very very sad day when you see lots of hard work from indie developers going to waste because they can't get it cleared through r18 or they don't have the money and then these studios fold um and it it makes the, the industry very volatile and it, it doesn't mean and it means that we actually don't have a stable environment to work in well, um, do you find that a lot of other students who are studying to be game designers and developers uh, end up leaving Australia, and that's kind of part of the plan that everybody at Quantum, you know, do you find all the Quantum students are planning on going abroad to actually work, or do people try to work within the boundaries given? I think a lot of people um, are going to try and work within the boundaries given. Um, you know, they'll move into the state to where there are game studios. I mean, I know a couple of people um, at the moment in my class have gotten internships with companies, which is really good. But again, they're, they're very indie developers, um, you know, class um, companies. But, you know, people like myself who have visions of working for AAA titles, you know, working on things like, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2, um, Return of the evil horseman or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, I will go overseas, and I think it, it takes that level of dedication. Um, and I'm not saying that the people that have internships here or are wor- willing to work in Australia are not dedicated, but it takes that sort of extra step to want to go overseas to seek work in this industry. Like uh, I myself, uh, I'm thinking of going over to England for a while and seeing what I can find in the way of studios over there to at least get a start in it before I, you know, move to America and, and do all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, again, I think uh, there is a lot of stress um, for people that are trying to break into the into the industry, the games industry, to find a job, um, in Australia at least, because we have such a lack of funding, you know, a lack of number of studios. I think there's only like three or four in, in Sydney City. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the competition um, must be amazing. I mean, you have all these students graduating, and you could only take five, maybe, and you only have three studios, so that would make it very difficult, I would think, to get that job. So, you know, and then that's compounded by, you know, this whole R18 thing where, you know, we've got to monitor our our content until the point where it gets released, and even then, the classification board will still come down with, you know, a heavy fist and say, you know, this is still not good enough for an R18. And I think um, the problem we'll face with this R18, like, it's really good that we're getting it, but the problem we'll face is that the guidelines will be too strict, mm-hmm. um, and there will still be limited content that can get into Australia, so... Well, it's always the great debate that people have had for a long time, which is, you know, should the state or the government regulate that sort of thing, or should it be up to individual parents to say, you know, my child can't play this, and I'm going to, you know, be more involved in choosing appropriate things uh, in media, games, and movies for my kids to watch or not watch, and take that responsibility upon themselves, or do they trust in a rating system that's kind of regulated by you know, the government or something like that. And here, at least in America, it's kind of gone a little bit more towards the personal responsibility scenario. But I'm kind of surprised that it's that way a little bit in Australia, where it's more that I guess you can rest assured that the Federation is going to take care of making sure that things are going to be not violent and you're going to have a little bit more of nannying for the people that are buying that. Yeah, I think, uh, in my opinion, I think it needs little bit of both. Um, there needs to be that classification system in place that monitors what content is coming coming in and what is acceptable to show people. Um, in this case, I think the R18 needs to be a little bit more relaxed because, you know, again, you've got the, um, you know, the older generation of gamers like myself and yourself. Like, for example, Witcher 2, um, this is probably the, the best example. They cut out a nudity scene. Um, between, uh, I think it's, uh, Geralt and Triss, the, um, the, the mage, mm-hmm. uh, there was a nudity scene there, and they cut that out, and it looks really out of place, cause they've just slapped on these white, skin tight boxer things. <laughs> and it, it just, it doesn't seem right for, for the tone and the, and the, um, the time of the game. So, like, it's these really sloppy, just, fix ups that, that sort of, they reduce the quality of the game, and that's all because of the content needing to be rated by, or or to be, you know, trimmed back by uh, our current classification of MA15+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are points in the game which, like, it takes away freedom of choice as well. Um, where, you know, for example, I can't think of any worse crime than choosing uh, an option in Mass Effect and then ha- not having that option in an Australian version of the game. Um, you know, like, for example, you go and you do, like, the renegade act of executing somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, can you imagine not having that option in an Australian mode? So, for example, you're talking to all your friends overseas and like, oh, yeah, this guy seemed like a bit of a dick, I executed him, and it actually turned out really well because I needed to kill him anyway. Whereas in Australia, we had to let him go because that's how the story went. We didn't get a choice. Hmm. And we, we sort of missed out. We're, not that that's an actual example. It, it hasn't, it, that doesn't happen, but you can imagine that these sorts of things are what are being um, looked at and taken out uh, in regards to the classification. I know uh, an example of that has happened in Witcher. Um, uh, one of my friends alerted, alerted me to it only recently about it, but, you know, it's, it's these sorts of things that the classification um, board are taking away from Australian gamers, and it's sort of killing the industry here, so... I think extreme sexual violence or extreme violence, I can understand. You know, they would have that rated for sure, and there's no real reason to have extreme uh, coarse language necessarily either, but to change the basic story of a game just for the rating, that's definitely uh, something that would be, I think, an issue to, to players who are there versus players who are here and having the game be different for you versus us. 
Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I think it's it takes a little bit of common sense on both parties. I think parents need to be more aware of what goes into games um, and what is suitable for their child um, and being a little bit more involved. And I think that's happening again now because we've got that generation where our generation are becoming the parents and our children, um, are, you know, are being born into this generation where games are already there and established. That's no longer, you know, I remember when I was four and, you know, the Nintendo came out. Um, the very first Nintendo came out, which was really exciting. Um, now our children are being born into this, um, into this generation of games that are a lot more violent, and it's it's up to us as pre- as the previous gamers to monitor what our children see, and you know, until they reach a point where they've got the morals and you know self control that we've taught them, for them to make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to have a hand in choosing what's right for our children um, in regards to games, um, but also have that classification there saying, well, we're not going to restrict what we want to show our children. So if, you know, for whatever reason a parent wants to go and they want to buy their child a GTA or Fallout, um, those have very adult themes to them, but for whatever reason they want to buy their 14-year-old child that those games... Then they can do so. Um, mm-hmm. Well, being well aware of what's involved and what's um, part of the content of those games, it's it's no longer just settled or it's no longer just on the shoulders of the government. It's a combined effort, and I think that's what we're. we're I think that's you know that's sort of the utopia of um, of of games classification. Definitely where, so. You know, Definitely yeah. so. I mean, each it. It is a parenting responsibility, the basic parenting responsibility to know your child and know what they can handle. And some 14-year-olds can handle something a lot different than others. So once you know your child and what they what they are mature enough to understand and discuss with you, then you can make those decisions as an informed parent. So good. All right, let's move on to the convention that you recently attended. I'm interested to hear what sort of developers you spoke to or what uh, you learned when you were there. So discuss that with me if you would what was this about okay. so um some of those people that may or may not be aware i am a warhammer nut <laughs> i've been in the hobby for 10 11 years you know i've i've done it since i was a child and recently i went to my very first games day which is the convention that they hold i think every year um in countries all over the world for those who are also Warhammer nerds um, to go and visit um, and see what new products they've got available. It's basically a a big get-together of Warhammer nerds from around the country to (laughs) celebrate um, Warhammer. Um, So I went to my very first one this year. It was really cool. Um, You know, there was... I met with people like uh, Phil Kelly um, and Adam Troke, who are the rules designers, or just some of the rules designers for the Warhammer books. Um, I met with Anthony Reynolds, who actually wrote the script, or was part of the team that wrote the script for um, Warhammer March of Chaos. I met, um, what's his name, Graham McNeil. Uh, who is a prominent author of the books for the Warhammer world. Um, you know, there was nice. So did you fanboy squee all over all of them? Yes. Did you embarrass yes, yourself? Did. No. Yes, <laughs> I, did. I, did. I did. Kind of like what I did with Jamison. Kind of. <laughs> Were you wearing a Space Marine outfit? But you I wanted sad. to. <laughs> I, if I had what I would, I would have. Totally. Just straight up. I'm your biggest fan. Um, but no, I I did. I complimented Graham McNeil to the point where he was humbled. So yay for me. Score one, Dan. Nice. Uh, I spoke to um, Adam Troke about getting into um, games development, not just for video games, but for rules development for Games Workshop. And he actually suggested that I send my CV to... Games Workshop at the end of the year when I finish my degree. So, <laughs> yes. and you said you uh, don't have to ask me twice. Yeah, you don't have to ask me twice. <laughs> I will be your best friend forever, and I will stalk you from this point on until the end of the year. 
Well, he said something really interesting. He said, like, hopefully I'll see you soon. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> You're like, oh, you will outside your apartment at seven. Well, he lives <laughs> in England, so, I mean. <laughs> and where are you hoping to work? Hmm. <laughs> the trips to his place are going to be very expensive, and I'm sure his wife wouldn't like the fact that I'm standing outside their apartment at, like, three in the morning, <laughs> just waving a flag saying, Adam Troke, I love you. <laughs> lovely, lovely. So, other than that, you know, it was just filled with um, activities and, and giveaways and Q&As. I went to a couple of Q&As in regards to um, the the miniature developers and the games developers um, side of things, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Did you wear uh, your ribbon that said you were, <laughs> I want to say best in show, but I don't know, what was it that you won where you submitted your minis- miniature that you had painted to the uh, game shop? Oh, yeah, yeah the... Um, the the fine cast competition. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I didn't. I, I didn't get a ribbon for that, but I thought you won um, some sort of a. I did. You I, were I lauded won. in some way. I I did. I I won, and there was a there was a uh, there was a, a competition a couple of months ago, and you know I won the competition, but you know I got lauded in store, but not at this thing. I didn't enter Golden Demon this year, so Golden Demon is their big um, country wide or international-wide um, competition, painting competition, where people uh, who enjoy the Warhammer hobby and enjoy painting get together and they paint a model up. And this model can take from three weeks to a year to paint, you know, makes it look really awesome, and then they, they judge them and they determine who's the winner. Um, I bet so I didn't enter this year. Oh, it is. Some of the models that people enter are just... Insane. Um, shading, lighting. <sighs> I I would probably fanboy all over that as well. Um, Carry on. Yeah, so there's just lots of stuff to do. And I didn't enter this year, but maybe next year I'll enter Golden Demon and, and get into that, you know, elite section of everyone looking at my model and going, wow, that's really awesome. Do you win a Golden Demon if you win the contest? Yes, you actually do. You get a Golden Demon trophy. Oh, really? Um, and the person voted best, like, best out of the entire show actually receives the Slayer Sword, which is a big, big sword. Ooh. Um, with Slayer Sword written on it, um, which is basically the trophy, and that's the that's your award for best in show. <laughs> Yay. Best in breed, best in show. Best in Dragonitis. show. Dragonitis. I wish. I wish. <laughs> One day, but yeah, I I went to that and I you know I bought a few things. I bought limited edition poster, and I bought a limited edition poster. <laughs> and your limp tome broke. Yeah, basically. <laughs> that was okay. like, here you go, here's fifty bucks. I'm like, sweet, a okay. limited edition poster. <laughs> in the in the in the course of about five minutes, I actually wasted that fifty dollars. Actually, no, it wasn't a waste. It's a really cool poster. Um, but yeah, I spent forty dollars on a post outside of my. We won't speak of it. Uh, oh, did, we will. We will. We will. Did you want to talk about Gears of War? Because I said we would talk about it, but I don't have any questions to ask you specifically. Uh, not really. I mean, Gears of War is out now. Um, I played a little bit of the multiplayer. It's really cool. Um, the story is, um, from what I hear, is really good, um, and from what I hear from my many, many sources is that it's also quite sad. No spoilers, I won't, I won't say anything, um, even though it got spoiled for me, but... Sad as in, like, the game is a tearjerker and not pathetic? Yeah, it's, it is a tearjerker. I mean, it's, it's the last in the trilogy, um, they're not, I don't think they plan to do any more. Um, but then again, they said that about Halo and it got picked up by someone else, so, Mm -hmm. um, but for this story, at least anyway, um, it's a real, it's, it's sort of the the closing of a chapter, I guess. I mean, Marcus Phoenix, Dom, um, Baird, Coltrane, um, plus other characters that they're introducing, um, in this game, um, they're your main four. You know, I, I don't think we'll see them again in in a story, but, you know, I, from what I understand, it is quite a tearjerker, and, it, and I think it does justice to the Gears of War universe. Um, 
you know, to have such a, a, a farewell of these characters. The, you know, the, the, they've been, when they first came out, I think it was four years ago. Okay. Four years ago now. You know, it was pretty well received. Um, people enjoyed it and, you know, it's just sort of grown in popularity from there. So I'm just sitting here looking at my limited edition copy. <laughs> it's pretty nice. That um, you will keep. Perfect. That'll, and that'll keep. Yes. Um, that reminds me, for my Space Marine limited edition, I actually got my game signed by all the, the developers and stuff that are at the, oh. at the game stay thing. So that was pretty cool. That is nice. But yeah. Um, a memento to keep. But yeah, Gears of War 3, sitting on my, my shelf ready to be played. I haven't played it yet because I've been really busy with, you know, making games and stuff, but I'll sit down and do that eventually. Excellent. Uh, we're getting close to ending now. Is there anything you didn't yep. get to say about anything that we talked about? No. Maybe. Yes. No. That's, uh, no, you didn't. Trees, trees are green. Um, <laughs> my laptop is black. Um, and I am Dragonitis. <laughs> Okay, a big thank you to Dragonitis. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at GrimWizard. And if you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Grey Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Grey Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, email me your questions, advice, or suggestions to genesegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time with a new episode. <laughs>